0: From WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome! I'm Warren Odeschalette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. <laughs> Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Chitra Golastani on May 11, 2020. Chitra started her educational career by working for the Colombian Educational Foundation known as Fundayak. Later, while pursuing her graduate degree, she co-founded the UCLA branch of the Paulo Ferre Institute. She's now a faculty member of the Institute of Humane Education although she is taking a leave of absence to devote her time to an associate directorship at the Wilmette Institute. She explains how all these phases in her career represent a progressive evolutionary process and her understanding the potential of her education to change humanity and the world. I started the interview by asking Chitra where she grew up and what was religious life like growing up.
1: Well, I will take a step back and say that I was born in Iran, in Tehran, Iran, in 1979. As many people know, there was a revolution. There was a political regime change, and Iran became a fundamental Islamic regime. People from the largest minority faith, the Baha'i faith, in Iran were always persecuted, This was a complete different level of persecution that this community witnessed and world witnessed after the regime change. In 79, my family left everything they had um, worked for. And I really admire my parents going from comfort to a lot of challenges and having that detachment to see that freedom of religion is worth so much more than other things that they had keeping them in the country. And many of our relatives also left at the same time. And so my memories of how I was brought up and how my spiritual tradition informed and uh, nurtured and fostered certain virtues within me started mostly when we landed in the United States and had our permanent home in Los Angeles. I remember truly growing up in uh, the arms of such amazing diversity in the Baha'i community. The African-American Baha'is were, I feel, my greatest mentors, uh, whether it was you know, Oscar DeGru in the workshop, or Jeffrey Barnes with the choir that we had. Los Angeles Baha'i community was just so vibrant, you know, during my adolescence. I really feel that having that in my life really helped consecrate me in what I wanted to do because of my lived experience with persecution and violations of human rights from Iran to then really dive deep into studies that would utilize my experience in working for the betterment of the world, human rights, sustainable change, racial equity and justice. I would say that My family also, of course, played such a fundamental role. When we came to the United States, my parents were struggling so much to figure things out. One thing they really emphasized with my sister and I is education. That's one of the principles of the Baha'i faith is universal education, and especially for girls. Uh, Not to say that boys are not encouraged. Of course, they're equally encouraged. But there is a place in the writings, Baha'i writings where it says if you have to make a choice between a girl or a boy to be sent to school, choose the girl first because they will be the primary educators of not only their children, but of course, this means on a macro level of the next generation. And so with that encouragement, we really prioritized education. I feel like my parents' insights, spiritual insights, helped us to have the spiritual family life that would nourish us to see through a lot of the distractions that would creep in and still do now in in the lives of my children with consumerism and materialism and individualism then they truly embraced the cultural and religious and racial diversity that Los Angeles had to offer it was truly an extraordinary I feel step that they took and one that I am truly grateful for
0: now Chitra Was it difficult for your family to physically leave Iran?
1: It was, absolutely. I think that they left before the time where they stopped allowing Baha'is to, like giving them a harder time. Of course, they had to leave so much of the property and so, you know, the material wealth that they had worked all their lives for, but you know, we didn't have to really, you know, go through Turkey and and some other things that my cousins had to endure, you know, walking through rivers and on donkeys and (laughs) sleeping the night in places that nobody would want to imagine. I do think, though, after coming to the U.S., one of the things that was the most difficult was having left behind you know, our brothers and sisters in Iran who do not, did not, and still do not have access to higher education, simply because they're Baha'is. In the 80s, early 80s, having stories and news of the members of the National Spiritual Assembly all being killed for their religion, the atrocities, you know, that came thereafter with Baha'i businesses being burned down and people being beaten and imprisoned and killed. And so our hearts and consciousness was with them. That sense of helplessness is hard to cope with once you are in a land that has freedom of religion.
0: Chitra, how old were you when you came to the United States?
1: I was five, five and a half. So if you do the calculation, you'll know just how old I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the reason I ask is probably that's a fairly flexible age to adapt when coming to a new country and a new language versus maybe being 15 And you were so young, probably you don't have the memories really of Iran because you were so young. And you probably might not even remember what the challenges were when you first came to L.A. off the plane or whatever.
1: I do have a few scenes, you know, that like flashback scenes. They're very few, but they're definitely there. There is one of being in Iran and looking out the window, because the feeling of tension in the house and stress was palpable. So, and everybody was going to the window and looking outside. And I remember seeing a demonstration of people yelling and holding their fists up. I would presume that, you know, it was those types of scenes that made my parents just leave almost everything and come to the U.S. But coming here, I do remember it because you remember when you start school, right? I remember Mm -hmm. the kindergarten, first grade I was in and, you you know, after that. For me, it was so easy because it was my first complete language, reading and writing. For my sister, who's maybe four years older than me, it was far more difficult for her because it was a time of international political turmoil with the hostages you know my sister would come back from school you know saying that the kids are yelling at her telling her to go back to iran and just you know really awful things that they would say to her maybe was not a direct experience but just uh, living it through my family you know no matter what, you know, I'm an immigrant child in an immigrant family where there's certain things that are just done where you're used to translating and taking care of official papers that come in and, (laughs) you know, a host of, of things that, you know, a regular kid around the block maybe doesn't have to think about.
0: So I'm speaking with Chitra Kolastani, a faculty member of the Institute for Humane Education and co-founder of Paolo Freire Institute known as the PFI at UCLA where she's a research associate and educator and she's the associate director for the Wilmette Institute and you had said Chitra that the importance of education was really expressed I guess in a number of ways in your upbringing and you went to university and you wrote a thesis on an organization called Fundiac, a nonprofit in Colombia. Why did you write your thesis on Fundiac and what is this organization?
1: So Fundiac is uh, an organization in Colombia. It stands for Fundación para la Aplicación de Ciencias y Enseñanzas. And it basically has a holistic approach to sustainable development. And I was very much attracted to that, not only because it was Baha'i inspired, because it was multifaceted and it took into account the complexities of development in a way that I had not seen before. You know, when I started my higher education journey, I worked really hard and got into some, you know, very, uh, well, prominent universities, but didn't have the money necessarily to go. I wanted to work on world hunger and development. So I went to Cal Poly Pomona, where I did uh, my undergraduate degree in international agricultural development. As I studied the issue, I realized that global hunger had not much to do with agronomy or food production or the ability of the earth to necessarily maintain the population at that time, but very much to do with politics and greed and profit, which then, if you peel the onion, has to do with our values, and if you peel it further, it has to do with how humanity sees itself. If we do not see ourselves as one human family, a united world, we will continue to get rid of tons of wheat at that time in the ocean because we don't want to upset the prices that are for the benefit of the few. With those questions in mind, I started to research development programs that did not have a top-down approach, did not have a one-size-fits-all approach, but ones that really helped empower the population to be the protagonist of their own material and spiritual development. Years later, when the Office of Social Action for the Baha'i community had a document that encapsulated 30 years of learning, I felt so blessed to have been able to experience and witness a lot of what that social action document had summarized, and that development really is not about people making decisions for others and uh, marginally including them somewhat in the afterthought of what they want to do. Truly from The beginning, it is the people that know themselves what needs to be done for their advancement and sustainable development. So with Fundayek, what was interesting is they had like a micro-enterprise aspect. They had, I think, even animal husbandry and like uh, agriculture, and they had education and health. So it was really looking holistically at development, not from a top-down perspective.
0: And related to Fundayek, there is something called LSAT, E-L and then S-A-T, LSAT education. What is LSAT Mm -hmm. education? And I read somewhere that there was somewhat of a relationship to Zambia. Maybe you could explain that when you explain what LSAT education is.
1: Yes. So this is a perfect transition because I ended with uh, the fact that Fuendayek had an educational pro- aspect component to it, and that was El Sistema Aprendizaje Tutorial, which was a high school program that essentially took the concept of education outside of buildings and the one-size-fits-all concept of developed countries' education, and I don't like that word or concept, but at that time, that's what was being used, but maybe Global North's concept of what you know should be in curricula and imposed on people. SAT took that and put it completely upside down. They said, okay, if people in the areas where they grow sugarcane, for example, cannot have access to high school education because of the seasons, because when they need to harvest, then education needs to go to them. So teachers were trained locally to then become tutors or teachers of local high schoolers with curriculum that was relevant to them and their reality. And so when they would graduate from this, uh, like a high school equivalent program, they would become the promoters of rural well-being, would be the diploma that they would get. I remember being at one of the graduations in one of the areas, peri-urban areas is what we used to call it in Zambia anyways, but kind of a rural area. And it was so moving, so moving to see young people basically being at the forefront of the destiny of their area and not moving out to the cities, adding to the congestion and all of the problems that that brings. With this model, actually, Fundaix and SAT program, uh, the government made it actually equivalent to a high school Uh, diploma. And then it started to spread in other areas as well in the region. At the time, Dr. Javahe was a continental counselor uh, in the Baha'i faith before he was elected to the supreme governing body of the Baha'i world called the Universal House of Justice. He had recommended that I go to Zambia because they were looking to see how similar conceptual framework might look like there. That's what took me to Zambia. It really looked different, as it should. Every place has its own unique culture and needs, and so it was really important for me, I feel, to have uh, tried to serve in that way and to learn from what they were doing.
0: How would you say it was different in being tailored accordingly to, let's say, uh, Colombia?
1: I think that uh Zambia's economic opportunities were less than Colombia. And so how the limited human resources and financial resources were utilized had to be really thought of in a different way, really looking at like raising human capacity to be able to help more and more and more people. I think Zambia and Malawi were you know, probably in the 50 poorest countries of the world at the time. And so in those ways, I think that like just looking at those practical times where people were consulting about not only where to start, how to start, how long to continue, those types of things.
0: So I'm speaking with Chitra Golastani. Who's a faculty member of the Institute for Humane Education and co founder of Paulo Freire Institute, which is referred to as PFI at UCLA, where she's a research associate and educator, and she's the associate director for the Wilmette Institute. So let's talk about the Paulo Freire Institute, or PFI, at the University of California, Los Angeles. Now, you co founded this organization, is that true?
1: Yes, I was fortunate enough to be in the doctoral program at the time when my former advisor, Dr. Carlos Alberto Torres, was really inspired to start something with a few of his advisees. And we came together and basically thought about how to continue to reimagine the work of Freire, who's main contribution to education, I feel, was to revolutionize how we think about education in terms of oppression and liberation. Paulo Freire was exiled from Recife, Brazil, to Chile because his writings were so revolutionary. I'm sure many people are familiar with his book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, where he does look at this relationship in a binary way for a purpose, and we can go further into that if you wish, but then takes those macro level concepts and applies them within education, that education should not be a vertical top-down banking concept of education where The educator is seen as an all-knowing entity pouring or depositing into the minds, passive minds of the learners, but that learners really have the agency to co-create and co-construct their education and that their education should be liberatory, meaning that they're not educated to, for example, just learn how to read and write, to read the word but to read the world within their literacy and to be able to transform it. So I think I would encapsulate Freire's work in just that, to not only read the word, but to read the world and to transform it.
0: How does PFI apply this concept in its work?
1: So, of course, there's the one at UCLA, which has its own activities and efforts and endeavors both within the Graduate School of Education and Information Studies at UCLA, and then also in branches of community with other organizations. But then there are Paulo Freire Institutes all over the world, in Brazil and other places. They all have their activities, but the one at UCLA has programs for critical pedagogy, social economy, community organizing, cultural studies, global studies, policy and politics, um, which students then have an analysis of power and decision-making. And we also, you know, look at global citizenship education. Each summer, there's a summer program where students, international graduate students, come to UCLA, and we have a program where... We cover these topics with them. Sometimes, I think it's a six-week program. It's really uh, an amazing cross-pollination of ideas and some students' very first encounter with critical pedagogy and social justice issues. Another really exciting part of the work with the Paulo Freire Institute is the magazine-slash-journal called Global Commons Review, where there are articles submitted from people all over the world whether they are professors of many years amazing community activists organic intellectuals if you will researchers practitioners being involved with that has been a a really exciting process as well
0: so i'm speaking with chitra golastani who's on the faculty for the institute for Humane Education and co-founder of Paulo Freire Institute, PFI, at UCLA, where she's a research associate and educator, and she's the associate director for the Wilmette Institute. So let's talk about the Institute for Humane Education. Now, you're on the faculty for that institute. What is this institute and what is its mission?
1: I was so thrilled when I discovered the Institute for Humane Education because, again, it's one of those institutions like Fundayek that takes a holistic perspective to social change. And with IHE, I will refer to it as IHE, Institute for Humane Education, looks at the intersectionality of human rights, environmental ethics, and animal welfare. So if we are considering social change, we have to not only look at human systems, not only look at systems that affect planet Earth, but also look at animal welfare because they are all interlinked one to another. The co-founder uh, Zoe Weil has several TED Talks and uh, a book where she gives tools of how to actually educate people in seeing these interconnections, in analyzing our systems, and in being able to envision solutions. So one word that uh, you will hear a lot at IHE is, you know, how do we raise a generation of solutionaries? Solutionaries are people who want to go to the root of the problem, analyze it through systems thinking and be able to envision solutions that are enduring and that really result for the well-being of all. So that was very attractive to me and um, when I interviewed it seemed like it was home and they felt the same way and so I teach human rights with IHI who is now partnered with Antioch and also another graduate course, Culture and Change, which is another really amazing course looking at the factors of what we need to do, change our, our values and our culture to see the change we want in the world.
0: So I'm speaking with Chitra Golestani, who's on the faculty for the Institute for Humane Education and co-founder of Paulo Freire Institute, PFI at UCLA where she's a research associate and educator and is the associate director for the Wilmette Institute. So let us talk about the Wilmette Institute. So you're the associate director. Why don't you tell us what the Wilmette Institute is and what are your responsibilities as associate director?
1: I really love my present work. I actually have taken uh, a leave of absence from my teaching work so that I can concentrate on um, my present administrative role with the Wilmet Institute. Wilmet basically is an online learning center that has Baha'i courses and Baha'i inspired courses ranging from theology, history and text, which you know I think of as Baha'i studies, to social transformation, to marriage and family life. It really covers a wide range of Subjects. It is so fascinating that this is a place where you can actually have not only the scientific understanding of humanities and social science, if you will, but also a spiritual one. This takes me all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, where I realized that world hunger, for example was not necessarily just an issue of production and science, but that it's a spiritual issue. It's about justice and the voices of the global south being heard equally to the north. What I had been raised with, the Baha'i principles, where the founder of the Baha'i Faith, Baha'u'llah, which means the glory of God, has writings about world governance and consultation when, when you come to the table without an agenda to convince the other party to your side, but that you come with another one of the principles, independent investigation of truth. When people come to the table with those values and attitudes and behaviors, then truly a new world is possible. This is a really exciting stage in my life because first I realized that education was the key for me in my life for social change, and I went to UCSB to get my master's in education and then PhD at UCLA. And then I worked with the Paulo Freire Institute, which basically demonstrates that education should be about problem posing and raising critical consciousness so that humanity will have the will to make a difference and not just follow status quo. And then with the Institute for Humane Education, there are so many ways and educational modalities that were utilized to actually have liberatory education, to actually have the lessons, for example, speak for themselves, for the lessons to be dialogical, filled with discussion and dialogue and consciousness raising, rather than one person just speaking to a passive audience. And then, after that, comes my experience with the Wilmette Institute, which is very fresh still, I'm in my first year of being able to see the interconnections between science and religion, between material and spiritual development. So our courses also strive to reflect that within all the different courses that are available.
0: So Chitra, as you know, we're going through a serious pandemic right now, and I'm wondering if the Wilmette Institute Is offering any courses to help folks deal with the pandemic?
1: Yes, well, we have our regular courses that have continued. And in addition to that, we have created a series of webinars, WI Live, These free webinars have truly covered a wide range of issues, and we're very, very excited about the participation and the feedback we've received with how useful it has been for people. So some of those, for example, would be addressing the present, building the future, climate change conversations... I do a monthly thing now with conversations with Rain Wilson, actor comedian, about the Baha'i Faith. There are even programs for youth, a free course for youth, transformative leadership, where youth really are able to analyze and look at the different social forces and system of governance in very age-appropriate language and look at servant leadership and what that looks like to them and how they see themselves as change agents. We just finished a six-week course with them and the art and the content that they produced for their final video is Mm tear-jerking and amazing to see. So that's absolutely been a highlight for me. And then there are a series that we're doing with EBBF, Ethical Business Building the Future. They're a Baha'i-inspired organization and learning community with really, I feel, amazing cutting-edge conceptualizations of what the world could look like. And in addition to all that's coming up, we have a webinar coming up with Dr. Derek Smith, who uh, looks at blackness in the Baha'i community, the concepts of blackness, and how basically that translates to the liberation of all of humanity, being able to understand the history of people of African descent and how the Baha'i writings refer to them. Really, truly transformative to me to be able to look at that. We also have been working on anti-black racism course in the United States. Just purely working on the course has been transformative itself. So back to your question about my role with the Wilmette Institute. As an administrator, I work on multiple fronts overseeing the development of the Wilmette Institute with our director, Robert Stockman. But I also am focusing on developing courses in our social transformation department that will be ready for college students and helping to form partnerships with different institutions for higher learning who would want to have the type of courses we offer that incorporates both material and spiritual concepts into solution-focused thinking for the future.
0: So where can people find the Wilmette Institute courses?
1: The Wilmette Institute courses are up on our website, wilmetinstitute.org. There's a catalog there. And also, if you want to learn more about the Institute for Humane Education, you can simply Google that, and the Paulo Freire Institute, UCLA, you can Google that. There's so many amazing organizations to learn about and to help walk the path of service with by contributing to social discourse and engaging in social action that really works on both ends of individual and collective transformation and spiritual and material development.
0: So, Chitra Golestani, who, uh, faculty of the Institute for Humane Education and co-founder of Paulo Ferrer Institute at UCLA as well as the Associate Director for the Wilmette Institute. Thank you so much for sharing your work in all of these areas to help the world be a better place. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chitra Golastani, educator and currently the Associate Director for the Wilmette Institute. You can find this interview and other interviews on the website abahiperspective.com and on the YouTube channel, a Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith you can go to the website Baha'i.org or you can call the number 1-800-22UNITE. I hope you join me next time on a Baha'i Perspective.
2: Thou hast created me To know Thee and to worship Thee I testify at this moment
3: know now is i was right about you so my king my beloved my chorus line my symphony of chemistry my perfect background.
0: XOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.